The following episode contains major plot points of movies. A spoiler warning is advised. This episode also contains topics that may be disturbing for some viewers, so viewer discretion is also advised. Alright, this coffee is delicious. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. And it's uh, still Happy Pride Month, as we are on June 17th, and today we're going to be talking about the Duke. Well, we're recording this on June 17th. It'll be re- released the next day on Father's Day, which is June 18th. This is actually kind of almost appropriate, not really, for Father's Day, because the child, you know, lost a father. We'll get to that when we get to that. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> but this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the Duke. I did mention it in last week's episode. I thought it would be really fun if we did different horror tropes that had LGBTQ representative. And I didn't understand why that the Duke was part of that. But I think you kind of explained to me, but you will get into that when we get into this episode. I'll get more into it when we get into more of the Duke. <clears throat> but is there anything you want to talk about that's happened in the last week that's horror related that you may have heard of? Well, I did hear that Evil Dead Rise is going to be on Max. Mm-hmm. I think either this month or next month. I did hear that it's going to be on Max, and I'm super excited because we were supposed to go see it in the theaters, but we never got a chance. Yeah. And I think that is super, super awesome. So. And we were going to try to see Redfield on Peacock, but for some reason, our Peacock channel on our smart TV is like being weird on us. Yeah, we don't have it anymore, so. Well, no, we have it. I think you just have to update the channel. If you know how most apps have updates, you have to update every now and then in order to continue using them. Yeah, I don't like it, but it's whatever. Yeah, but that's what I feel like we have to do here. Ugh. But anyway. Fine. I can't really think of anything aside from the fact that, like, last week we talked about how Fright Rags partnered up with Fangoria. Mm-hmm. And are doing their Pride sale on their Pride merch, yeah. which I thought was really cool. I wanted to highlight one more company. Yeah, I actually... <laughs> it's kind of funny, yeah, because we haven't got any shirts yet from um, from for Pride Month. I know, I'm no. kind of bummed because... It's okay, though. It's okay. I, they'll still have them on sale. It doesn't... I know, but between Father's Day tomorrow and our anniversary coming up next weekend, it's going to be kind of hard for us to try to, like get our hands on some pride merch yeah but creepy company is another horror themed company that's celebrating pride with their own collection of pride merch Mm -hmm. so they have pride themed t-shirts they have one with creature from the black lagoon and wolfman holding hands saying love is love yeah and then there's the other one with the mummy and dracula holding hands and it's kind of the same thing my favorite is the rainbow vampire fangs those are awesome i because they have them not only in a t-shirt but they also have them as a patch they even have two rainbow skeletons kissing each other yeah which i like mm-hmm. all saying love is love and i know that these uh, the proceeds for their sales are going towards something else, too. But let me just find that information. Yeah. One moment. Um, I actually wanted to talk about something. Okay. So I was watching this movie that I haven't seen in a long time the other day called Thrashin. And Thrashin is a skateboard movie from 1986. Mm-hmm. And it had a very young Josh Brolin with Robert Rustler. Actually, there was a few horror favorites in that movie, and some of them were part of the LGBTQ uh, movies that were horror movies. Like Robert Rustler, when we talk about Vamp. Yeah. He was in there. He was uh, the skater uh, 
the leader of a skater gang mm-hmm. um, called the, uh, oh my god, what was it? Was it the Scorpions or some shit? But yeah. And then in the other group that Josh Brolin was in, guess who was in that one? So you know in Lost Boys the the blonde hair character not the little the little one of the group but the bigger one mm-hmm. his name was Paul yeah he was in there this Brooke McCarter and mm-hmm. he was actually this was a year before he broke big with Lost Boys he was one of the skater boys in uh, Josh Brolin's uh, gang mm-hmm. and my God he's like he looked almost just like his character you know. You know, from the from the Lost Boys. So when I saw him, I was like, "Look, it's Paul!" <laughs> like, so I thought that was pretty cool because you know, I feel like that's how he probably got the job for Lost Boys. Because sometimes when you notice someone in a movie before the year before, and mm-hmm. like they must have saw him in Thrashing, and he had like the perfect look for for the character. So I guess that's why he probably they probably chose him. I don't think so, but I feel like that's my guess. But it was so cool to see. Um, Paul in Thrashing, and he fucking like kicked ass in skateboarding. But I feel like that's probably a stunt double, also. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, because um, and it's funny. Uh, Tony Hawk would actually back in the day would be uh, um, a stunt double for like you know movie stars and like you know some of the movies in the eighties, including uh, Police Academy Four. He was a stunt double for a second for uh, David Spade. Yeah. In that movie, because David Spade was a skateboarder in Police Academy 4. So, literally, he just came in, like, he was his stunt double. And, actually, David Spade said he's actually had been a skateboarder before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why I'm having a hard time finding this information, but I know their, their sale proceeds go to an organization. But, for some reason, I'm having a hard time finding that info. Well, maybe, I don't know, but like I said, not put it up anymore. Creepy Company has some pretty good merch out, too, that what's, you guys should check out. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, like, what they're doing. They also have Evil Dead Rise merch that they just restocked yeah. uh, recently. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I can't find any information. So, But there's them, and then I know Dead Meat also is selling their own Pride merch, which is really cool. Yeah. James H. Nice and Chelsea Rebecca, they're selling t-shirts, stickers, pins other merch mm-hmm. and theirs is really cool because it's sort of like a rainbow pattern but it looks like vhs like you know like the side sleeves of like a vhs tape mm-hmm. and it's got all these names of horror creators so directors producers special effects makeup artists composers who are part of the lgbtq community so you have don mancini jody foster you have a bunch of other people uh, Anthony Perkins from Psycho mm-hmm. is also on it, which I, I think was, is really cool. I was going to say that if we ever had our own Pride merch, I had a few ideas. A rainbow brain? That or um, two brains making out. I mean, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they're like they're like two like male like brains or like whatever, mm-hmm. and they're just sitting there and they're like holding hands or but. yeah. And I mean, I think it'd be really cool too because I mean, for one thing, I usually do a lot of the digital art for our podcast, so I would like to try some Pride art merch. Mm-hmm. 
So I think it'd be really cool if we also reached out to any local artists or maybe local LGBTQ artists who would be interested in submitting some designs for our podcast for maybe yeah. next year's Pride Month or yeah. maybe just Pride in general. Because the, I, we shouldn't just wait for next year. It's, I know it's all it's all day every day, lady. I know. God, but yeah, get I, the Pride going. <laughs> but yeah, we've been watching some other like Pride themed movies or yeah. pride representative movies yeah um oh my god i watched psycho last week yeah mm-hmm. the remake or the, no, original? the original oh okay with anthony perkins oh, okay yeah i was gonna say we too. should cover that one next week yeah is that part of the old yeah, oh yeah no anthony like perkins. A, yeah because of norman bates do you want to get into our thing i'm gonna go into the babadook mm-hmm now, Colin and I had recently watched this a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. like prior to Pride. I mean, I watched it way before her also, <laughs> and I tried to get you to watch it for years, but I feel like for some reason you weren't it wasn't you weren't ready to watch it. I have to be in the mood to watch something. Like I can't just have a list and then go by the list. Like I know there's movies that I like to watch <sighs> that I've already seen, and I know there's movies that I have to watch eventually to get through my list but you have to be in the mood for something in order to want to watch it because mm-hmm. if you just if you force yourself to watch something and you're not exactly in the mood to watch it then you're not going to appreciate it as much yeah if you're not into the game then what's the point of playing like, right you know right so that's mm. why like when we first watched it we were hanging out with our friend and we were scrolling through shutter and you pulled up the babadook and I'm like, I haven't seen that one. I said, but it's always been on my to-be watch list. My favorite thing about the Babadook, I've always watched it, but the thing about it is their memes. I don't know if you remember the meme where yes. the mother is kind of like, why can't you just be normal? And the kid's like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That's my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, this movie really reminded me to take my birth control. <laughs> it really reminds you of not ready to be a parent yet. Or ever, really. Yeah, but anyway, because, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, because you might get possessed and might want to kill your kid. Okay. So that being said, <laughs> we're going to get into The Babadook, yeah. which was released on November 28th, 2014. Has a runtime of an hour and 32 minutes. Stop reading my notes, Colin. I want to know what you write. <laughs> well, you these are like four pages of notes. Is this really four pages? Yes. Fucking Christ. Mm. It was directed by Jennifer Kent. It's based off of the novel Monster, written by Jennifer Kent, and it was her debut theatrical film feature. When asked where the idea for the novel came from, Kent said, quote, I have a friend who's a single mother whose son was traumatized by this monster figure that he thought he saw everywhere in the house. So I thought, what if this thing was real on some level? So I made Monster in 2005. It was a short film at the time Mm. about that idea, but I couldn't leave it alone. I kept coming back to it, and it led to the Babadook. And in Hebrew, Babadook means he's coming for sure. And the word Babadook is also an anagram for a bad book. Which is true, considering what happens in this um, Which It was pretty smart that she came up with that for the name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And then, in relation to how it's an LGBTQ representative movie, Mm -hmm. the Babadook character became a symbol for the LGBTQ community after Netflix accidentally placed it under LGBT movies. Which, I don't get why they do that, like... But that sparked into a lot of memes being generated on social media platforms, 
And eventually he became sort of a iconic symbol of the LGBTQ horror community. So Netflix but, accidentally did this. It was sort of accidental on Netflix's part. But Eren Orby of The New Yorker wrote in a 2017 article, quote, The Babadook's new fabulousness seems to align quite reasonably with queer readings of better-known beasts such as Frankenstein and Freddy Krueger. Like those other misunderstood figures, he originated in anonymity shunned by the traditional folks whom his presence threatens. Fearing the creature's transgressive influence, his shameless oddity, and his aggressive manner, uh, the film's mother character attempts to burn his manifesto, only to learn that attempting to get rid of the Babadook actually enlivens him. His book reappears on her doorstep, replete with the brash self-assertion of most coming-out anthems. And she says, quote, I'll wager with you, the monster writes, in what could be a Lady Gaga lyric. I'll make you a bet. The more you deny, the stronger I get. Which is actually, I think, part of the quote in the pop-up book in the movie. Yeah. And it makes sense because, as we mentioned last week, the reason why there's such a lot of representation in horror films is because people of the LGBTQ community can always find themselves in the eyes and hearts of the monsters and sometimes villains of the horror franchises because mm-hmm. in our own society, gay people are often villainized just for being who they are. And it's a shame that it happens, but unfortunately it's the sad reality of the world that we live in. Every, it's not, yeah. It's not just in the U.S., but it's all over the world too, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. Oh, especially in other countries. <laughs> other countries, they've actually murdered people for being like that. I know, and that's what makes it even more horrifying yeah. But that's kind of how it led to the Babadook being an LGBTQ character. And I heard at one point, I might be wrong, so you can yell at me at the comments of the posts whenever we post this. I always thought, or I always heard, that the Babadook was sort of like a non-binary figure. But then again... But then, they, yeah, because you don't really know what the gender of the character is. But they do go by Mr. Babadook in the pop-up book. Yeah, but Mr. could be anything. Right. I mean, there's even non-binary people who go by Mr. or Mrs., but they still maintain the non-binary pronoun they, them. Like, but the thing I noticed about the Boba Duke also, that he is very stylish for a character. I like his, I like his outfit. Like, especially with the top hat and like, I know everything else is a black shadow figure, but I feel like he's just wearing an all black suit with like a big black coat and like you know and top hat he just looks so like stylish and i like that about him you're right like he's got one of those images that a lot of people tend to recognize and associate with and he's a, definitely a big hit for like dressing up as for halloween right. that's for sure because there's tons of people that have dressed up as a baba duke for halloween to go into the casting list it stars essie davis as amelia noah wiseman as samuel daniel henshaw as robbie Haley McElhenney, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, but she plays Claire, who's Amelia's sister. Barbara West as Mrs. Roach. And Tim Purcell as the Babadook, which I never really saw his name come up in the casting list, so I don't know if he was like an uncredited role. Probably. But Noah was six years old at the time of his audition and at the beginning of the filming. The ideal age group for child actors playing Samuel was about eight to nine years old, but they really liked Noah. 
Yeah. Jennifer Kent and Essie Davis attended drama school together. Kent specifically wanted Davis to play the abusive mother, knowing that she would also bring the right amount of heart to the character. Kent has also stated that Amelia suffers from the unprocessed trauma of witnessing a horrible death. And that is up to the audience to interpret whether the Babadook is supernatural or psychological in nature, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. Because it can be argued either way. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's an entity that only her and Samuel have experienced firsthand. No one else in their friendship circle or family circle can see or understand what the Babadook is to Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. What do you think? I think it is quite interesting, especially when you can find a talent like that younger than what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And literally just giving that person a chance, even with their talent, that's just, that's when you know you got something. Right. You know. So when we get into the plot, I'm like a little flummy. Like we're, we're recording this early in the morning and usually when I get up and drink coffee and I start talking a lot, I get incredibly flummy. It's kind of the same with me, especially when I drink coffee and it's mm-hmm. just like, I feel like I can't breathe afterwards. Yeah, so there may be moments where I might have to stop and drink water or something. So <clears throat> just giving people a heads up. Amelia Venick is a widow raising her six-year-old son Samuel on her own. Amelia's husband Oscar was killed in a car accident on their way to the hospital to deliver Samuel. Happy Father's Day. Oh my god. Sam begins displaying erratic behavior and combined with his insomnia leads Amelia to become stressed and exhausted. Sam begins seeing an imaginary monster, which he has built weapons to fight. Sam's school suspends him when he brings one of these weapons on campus. One night, he he presents to his mother a pop-up storybook called Mr. Babadook and asks her to read it to him. It describes the titular character, the Babadook, as a tall, pale-faced humanoid with a top hat and taloned fingers. Mr. Babadook torments its victims once they become aware of its existence. Mm -hmm. After the first reading of the book, Amelia is unsettled and ponders the book's appearance. Meanwhile, Sam has become convinced that the Babadook is real, which results in more restless nights for the pair. And Jennifer Kent once said that the Babadook was designed based on stills from lost film London After Midnight starring Lon Chaney. Yep. And, and the graphic designer and illustrator of the pop-up book, Mr. Babadook, uh, was designed by Alex... I can't pronounce this name, but it's J-U-H-A-S-Z. Show me, show me, show me. Right here. Juhas. I don't know if that's how you really pronounce it. After Amelia destroys the Mr. Babadook book, the doors begin to open and close on their own. Strange noises project throughout the house, and glass shards appear in Amelia's food. She deduces that Sam is acting out, but he blames the Babadook. Amelia rips up the book and disposes of it. At Ruby's, who's Sam's cousin's birthday party, uh, she bullies Sam for not having a father, and he lashes out by pushing her out of a treehouse. Amelia's sister, Claire, admits that she cannot stand to be around Sam, which offends Amelia. On their way home, Sam yells out that he sees the Babadook and has a seizure. Sam's pediatrician prescribes him with some sedatives to help him sleep. And I just want to take a moment to process that scene. So up until now, Amelia really, really tries to avoid talking about her late husband. Anytime he is mentioned by her neighbor or her sister or the school board at Sam's school... She's trying so, so hard not to talk about him. Well, yeah, because it's that bad. 
it's very painful for her. And I have to wonder, I mean, it's probably obvious to this point, but Sam's presence is just a constant reminder to Amelia that he's here, but her husband isn't. Yeah. You know? And that's got to be, like, pretty, pretty devastating. Yeah, I just hope she doesn't blame Sam for it or anything. I know she probably doesn't blame Sam, but there's got to be some level of resentment. Maybe not an extensive one, but obviously there's just enough there that when this starts to happen to yeah. them with the Babadook thing, mm-hmm. that it starts to really grate on that nerve of resentment. That's why she becomes even more and more and more abusive later on throughout the film. Yeah. In a few scenes where the Babadook is present, a sound effect from Warcraft 2, a computer game programmed by Blizzard, can be heard. The effect was a calling response of dragons in the point-and-click strategy game. And another of the sound effects heard in a couple of scenes was from the early 90s video game XCOM UFO Defense that was released in 1994. After a restful night without incident, Amelia finds the Mr. Babadook book reassembled on her front doorstep. With new alterations, the book taunts Amelia suggesting that the Babadook will become stronger if she continues to deny its presence. The new Papa book shows Amelia killing her dog Bugsy, Sam, and then herself. Out of fear, she burns the book and goes to the police station to report a mysterious stalker. Without proof of the stalking, the police dismiss Amelia and she leaves. That's bullshit. Mm -hmm. There's also another point in the scene, too. Where she's at the police station and she sees like a top hat and long coat Mm -hmm. behind the police counter. And she gets this weird vibe that it's the Babadook. So she kind of also kind of prompts her to leave. Mm -hmm. The interior of the house was completely built inside a studio. They initially thought of building the first and second floor as separate sets. But since the movie involved lots of running downstairs, they eventually built it as a two-story set. Shots through the windows to the outside had to be avoided since there was only a studio outside, and the budget didn't allow for backgrounds. The production designers used a lot of dark earth tones, and all the props and furniture that were bought had to be painted darker to convey the right mood. The floorboards were also purposely worn out to give the house a lived-in quality. This little... Uh, behind the scenes fact kind of remind me of Rear Window mm-hmm. a bit because that's kind of how they built the entire set. Yeah. They built these actual like apartment buildings that were essentially livable and habitable on the set. So that way they didn't have to worry about shooting at a location and on public property or private property. No, that's good. Yeah. So later that night, Amelia sees the Babadook open her bedroom door, crawl up the ceiling, and attack her. As she begins to lose sleep over these visions of the Babadook, Amelia becomes more isolated and impatient and begins shouting at Sam for being disobedient. As punishment, Amelia cuts the phone line with a knife and then waves the same knife at Sam. She has disturbing hallucinations in which she sees herself murdering Sam. (coughs) Yeah. So as a result of this narrative, several female critics were offended by the portrayal of Amelia, stating that no mother would ever mistreat her son like that. However, Jennifer Kent said that she was approached by several women afterwards 
who admitted that being a mother is hard and it would sometimes give them negative thoughts of mistreating their children. Even if they would never act on such ideas, most women thanked Kent for finally addressing that taboo. Mm -hmm. There's so many common taboos about women when it comes to motherhood that Mm. women need to be... need. (coughs) They need to be addressed. Well, no, that need to be addressed. There's so many common taboos about women and motherhood that by society standards are, yeah, are considered taboo. Like women should want to be mothers. So that's why when more women like myself choose to be child free and make plans to not actively want to have children, it's considered a taboo by society's standards. But it's becoming more and more normalized the more more and more people are saying we don't want kids because we have the self-awareness to say that kids are just not in the cards for our life plans you know yeah some for everyone honestly like in my personal situation i have pcos which is polycystic ovarian syndrome so what that means is that i have cysts on my ovaries that are affecting my ovulation which Mm -hmm. are then affecting my menstrual cycle And I'm probably going to get a little personal and like TMI. So if you don't want to listen to all this, you can skip probably like five minutes. TMI. But to break down what that means for me as a woman, it means that I, my body is not ovulating naturally because I have cysts on one of my ovaries that are not allowing it to produce egg cells. Yeah. To kind of give a little bit of a health lesson, the ovaries produce estrogen. They produce egg cells. Right? Mm -hmm. And whenever they produce egg cells, the fallopian tubes are the ones that reach out and grab the eggs and they bring them into the fallopian tubes where conception usually happens. Right? Right. Now, if conception happens, what normally happens is the egg cell becomes fertilized by a sperm cell and then it goes down to the uterine lining and then it attaches itself there and then eventually goes through the gestation of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that attachment can be within the fallopian tube or even the fertilization can occur outside of the fallopian tube or like outside of the uterus itself. Those are called ectopic pregnancies and those are absolutely 100% non-viable. So in my case, what's happening is one of my ovaries is not producing eggs. It's not ovulating. So the other ovary has to work twice as hard, but because there's that hormonal imbalance in my reproductive system, what's not happening, and this is what usually causes menstrual cycles, so when you don't conceive in a month, your ovaries are supposed to send a signal to your uterus to say, hey, we are not pregnant this month. You need to shed your uterine lining, and that's what causes periods. Mm. So because my ovaries are not sending that signal to my uterus, I am not having normal menstrual cycles. So to combat this, I am taking birth control pills with additive hormones to regulate all of that. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is if you don't have your menstrual cycle and your uterine lining thickens and thickens and thickens, it could cause clotting, which could cause strokes and heart attacks, which are incredibly fatal. And I don't want that. So I have to take my birth control pills. But another thing that I'm also working on getting done in the next month is having a procedure where my 
fallopian tubes and my ovaries will be removed. And that probably will result me in having to take hormonal supplements to, again, regulate everything. But that should reduce the risk of strokes and heart attacks. And I'm, and I'm happy for you to do that. Like, yeah. seriously, like if, yeah, <clears throat> if you need this procedure, then yes, go for it. You know? Yeah. And like I said, it's not just a health procedure to make sure everything stays regulated, but I really, truly do not want to have kids. Yeah. And sometimes when I have this conversation with people, I mean, in recent years, I've gotten a lot more positive feedback because of this. Once in a while, I do catch that one person who's like, are you sure that's what you want, though? Like, what about what your husband wants? Well, I feel the same all, way, so I feel yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, so it's like, well, first of all, Colin agrees with me on that aspect, so your your argument there is completely moot. But then they're like, well, what if you get older and you regret not having kids? Or what if you grow older and you don't have anybody to take care of you? First of all, that's not up to somebody else to decide that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't need a kid in order for my life to feel fulfilled. Yeah. And I shouldn't need a kid in order to feel not lonely. I mean, I have two dogs right now. They don't make me feel lonely at all. No, they're always around. Exactly. Like, I'm perfectly fine with that. If anything, they're too around. I know. But I'm perfectly fine with that and... When it comes to decisions like that, it is nobody else's decision but the person at hand who's making the conscious decision of whether or not they want to have kids. I feel like with this is that <clears throat> if something doesn't seem wrong or if if it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're happy with what you have in your life, then keep it. Mm-hmm. Because if you want something different... Then do something about it. But if you want someone to tell you what to do about what you need to do in life, you don't need to do that. Because if everything seems perfect without that traditional thing that everyone has and you're happy with what you have, keep it. Right. You know, because it's not worth changing. Right. And also another thing, too, that I think should be a more normalized thing is having that conversation with your partner about what you want in life earlier in the relationship. I think the thing is... you and I had that conversation about eight months into our relationship, mm-hmm. where I sat you down and I said, look, I'm like, I, I have my options, I know what my plans are, and I do not want pregnancies and babies to complicate that. Yeah, I get and, that. And he, you were totally on board with that. So, and before we got married, I was like, I need you to be absolutely sure that this is for sure what you want. Because Mm -hmm. when you are in a relationship with somebody and you both have two different life plans for yourselves, it could lead to a lot of resentment and issues later on down the road. And we've seen it firsthand with people in our lives. And I've seen it happen all over the world where people get into a relationship They put a lot of time and energy and effort into the relationship. And then years later, when they want something, but that person, that other person in their life is not willing to work with them on it, then that, again, leads to resentment. And then the relationship falls apart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just best to have that conversation in the beginning. And if your life paths are way too different than one another, if this is something that cannot be compromisable, then the relationship needs to end. So anyway, back to Baba Duke. I'm sorry we went completely off tangent, but I felt like it was an important conversation to have considering the nature of the film. So anyway, 
Uh, Jennifer Kent was incredibly sensitive when it came to discussing the themes of the film to Noah Wiseman. Within three weeks of pre-production, she carefully gave him a child-friendly version of what the story was about, with Wiseman's mother present on set. Wiseman himself was never actually present during the scenes where Essie Davis's character abuses her son. Mm-hmm. Davis would deliver her lines to an adult actor who stood on his knees. Kent is quoted as saying, quote, I didn't want to destroy a childhood to make this film. To get the reaction shots of Wiseman looking terrified, Davis would say things like, I'm going to take your Legos and throw them into the river. Right? <laughs> you know, actually, I think that's more traumatizing than saying the actual thing. Right. Like, don't take my Legos. Like, I, those are my Legos. I worked hard on them. I know. I, I think that's so interesting. And I like that because a lot of directors will really throw actors, including the child actors, in for a fucking loop like if my, just to make a movie. Yeah. Like, if my mom threatened me to... Take away my toys. Like, if she was like, I'm going to burn your He-Man figures. Or I'm going to, like, wreck, you know, crush your your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle uh, figures. I'd be, like, traumatized. I would want to be in therapy for years. Right. So, yeah. So, it's it's like, no matter what, you're going to be traumatized over something. Right. But I think, like I said, that's really notable Mm. of kent to do that because i mean shelly duvall mm. and stanley kubrick are a perfect example of mm. how far actors are willing to push their especially or, abusement yeah how far directors are willing to push their actors to make a movie and mm. it's really terrible mm-hmm. so amelia experiences hallucinations of oscar who suggests she brings the boy to him in exchange for his resurrection realizing this is another one of the babadook's visions she flees as the Babadook chases her through the house and possesses her. Under the Babadook's control, Amelia breaks Bugsy's neck and attempts to kill Sam, which I always hate that. You guys know how I feel about animal death scenes in movies. I, I don't know. How told... do you feel? <laughs> Colin. I'm just kidding. Stop trolling. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Sam lures her into the basement and knocks her out. Amelia wakes up bound in the basement by Sam and struggles to break free. When she tries to strangle him, he lovingly touches her face, causing her to expel the Babadook from her. Yeah. Yeah, causing her to expel the Babadook from her body. Yeah. However, Sam reminds Amelia that you can't get rid of the Babadook, and an unseen force drags him into Amelia's bedroom. In order to save Sam, Amelia had to face her husband's death. She confronts the Babadook, causing it to retreat into the basement, and she locks the door behind it. A vocal sample from the opening cinematic of the PlayStation 1 game, Resident Evil, Mm -hmm. can be heard multiple times during the final confrontation. (laughs) And the scream heard repeatedly towards the end is that of Motero, a character from Mortal Kombat 3. I thought you would enjoy that little piece of information. I like that. That's cool. Especially the Resident Evil one. Yeah. So over time, Amelia and Sam work on recovering. She becomes more attentive towards him and encourages him to continue building his weapons and shows interest in his magic tricks. After a visit with CPS agents, they gather worms in a bowl from the garden. Amelia takes it to the basement and feeds it to the Babadook. The creature tries to attack her, but she manages manages to soothe it and it retreats into the shadows with the bowl of worms. 
Amelia and Sam return to the garden to celebrate his birthday for the first time. And yeah, because like I said, her husband died the same day Samuel was born. So she never celebrates Sam's birthday Ever. on the exact day. It's oh always God. been around his birthday. <sighs> so sad. And that's why him and his cousin Ruby have always been sharing birthdays up until this moment in time. Yeah, because she didn't want to share a birthday anymore. So, I mean, I don't know how that feels because I never really had anyone to share a birthday with. But, yeah, I always had my own birthday. But I feel like now at this point in time, now that Amelia has faced that level of grief, like confronting it. Because, like I said, she's had to bury and suppress those feelings for six years Mm -hmm. just to, like, keep herself composed. But when she faces it head on and acknowledges that this has happened and I am still not over it. Like, it's part of that grieving process where you grieve and then you go through your five stages of grieving and then you come to accept it at the end, which is, I think, the last stage of grief. Yeah. Is acceptance and healing and then you move on and move past it and, you know, you can still... Go about your life. You can still remember that person. You can still talk about that person. But it it might just be a little less heavier than before. Hmm. So Jennifer Kent holds the rights to the film. And when asked if there would be a sequel, she said, quote, I will never allow any sequel to be made because it's not that kind of film. I don't care how much I'm offered. It's just not going to happen. Which I applaud her for that. Some movies... Do not need sequels. And some movies probably don't need to be remade. Mm-hmm. Well, I know for sure the Babadook doesn't need a sequel or a remake, so. Right. Shush. Uh, Kent stated that American distributors offered to help raise the budget for the film on the condition that the Babadook be killed at the end. She refused as the Babadook represents inner demons to her such as mental illness or suppressed trauma that stick with people for the mo- for most of their lives. Mm-hmm. Kent didn't want to give the impression that something like that could be simply killed and life will just return to normal. Yeah. The movie was financed through crowdfunding instead. Hmm. And William Fredkin, who is the director of The Exorcist, said of this film, quote, I have never seen a more terrifying film than The Babadook. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's highly, like, that's a big level of praise there that's a big the director honor. of the mm-hmm. exorcist thinks the babadook is the most terrifying movie he's ever seen bullshit exorcist is way more terrifying than babadook but again that's the point the exorcist so far and, and by most people's standards is the most horrifying movie known to date but even the director says that the babadook is the most terrifying film he's even ever seen yeah so i think that's really interesting that is interesting. So, any thoughts? No. Um, other than that, the movie has always been very intriguing. It's kind of hard to watch sometimes, especially some of the scenes. Mm-hmm. Especially with the mother and the sister and all that. I hate watching those scenes. And mm-hmm. it's just like, it's not cringe or anything. It's just very, I don't know, it just seems so realistic. It's like you're watching a family's real life drama like, off of someone's camera, like, when they have those cameras on, like, the porch or whatever, mm-hmm. or in the house. It's like you're actually watching an actual family disputing shit. Yeah. 
And I think that's even like like you said, it's such an awkward moment. But when you when you break down the nature behind those moments, you have to kind of remember too that this is Amelia and Claire's conversations. Like these are two sisters who have completely different lives. Like Amelia is working full time at a retirement facility with a son who has extreme behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. And then also on top of that, she's widowed. Yeah. And there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of grief surrounding those things that Claire should be able to notice and identify, but she keeps pushing Amelia to talk about Oscar when it's so painfully obvious that Amelia doesn't want to. Yeah, because it's too hard to talk about your, you know, your deceased husband. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, every time Amelia is around her sister, she's constantly reminded of the things that she does not have. She doesn't have her husband anymore, but she also doesn't have a normal, well-behaved child. I would say like Ruby, but Ruby is not a well-behaved, normal child either. She's, she's a kind of, brat. She is. Because I'm... Like, the thing about bullying and the thing about kids that I will never understand, when I see this interaction between Ruby and Sam in the treehouse, and she's, like, really getting on Sam's case about being different and weird and not having a dad, and my mom doesn't like you because you don't have a dad, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why would you say that to somebody? Like, what do you get off? On making somebody else feel that crappy about themselves. Yeah. You know? And again, these are little kids. So it's like, I can never wrap my head around why kids are that fucking mean. Like I said, I would say Ruby is a normal, well-behaved child, but she clearly fucking isn't. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, she's a little out. I don't know how to describe it, but she's a little bitch. Reminder, take your birth control today. Make sure your IUD is up to code. (laughs) But anyway. But, but I think on that point there, I think we are set with our show. Is or, there anything you want to talk about before we sign off? Fuck. I did have something. Um, Actually, guys, I just want to let you know, today is actually the day that I actually went on my first date with Aaliyah on June 17th, 2014. Yep. Yep. And it almost didn't happen if it wasn't if it wasn't for the rain, but the rain stopped just in time for us to have our first date. So kind of like the fact that with I was getting out of work and she was meeting me at my house and then it was pouring raining out. And I know some people be like, I feel like you guys could still go on your first date, but it was just so bad out. Is it's like, do you really want to like drive through it and get an accent? No, I don't think so. So, literally, I was so pissed because it was just raining hard for a while, and I wanted to go outside and punch it in the face because we could have had something special. Like, we could have had a perfect date. You don't know, you know? And that's why I was just, like, so mad. But then, the rain stopped, and the rain stopped definitely where she was in Greece. I was in a roundaquate. And I was like, yeah, like, it's clear over here if you want to come over. And she was like, I'm on my way. So... I felt like someone gave us a chance to have a first date. And I we went over to Dogtown for the first time, which for some of you, if you don't know what Dogtown is, I mean, we've talked about it on here before, but it's a hot dog cuisine place that also serves garbage plates. And 
This was actually at a time where she didn't like garbage plates. But we just had like fries and burgers and stuff like that. And then afterwards, we went over to Cobbs Hill Park, walked around. She had her hula hoops because she was big on that back then. And we just had just a wonderful time. We connected well. And literally, it was so funny. The end of the night, I remember we were kind of like in the car and I was giving her like an awkward hug. <laughs> like, because we were just in our seats and we were just hugging like that way. And then we had a good time. And then about two days later, on the 19th, I asked her out again. And she said yes. And we went to Pinnacle Hill. And that's actually the first time we kiss. And then two days after that, on the first day of summer, I asked her to be my girlfriend. Yeah, and it's so funny, too, because whenever we look back on how our relationship started. So when you asked me out, it was probably like a week or so before... We actually went on our first date, but yeah. on Father's Day that year. Mm-hmm. And then we went on our first date, and it happened, as Colin said. And then we went on our second date, and then two days later, you and I were texting each other, and you asked me to be your girlfriend, which I said, sure, why not? Yeah. So we've now been together for nine years, and this October we'll be married for two years. So we've had a pretty long-standing relationship. It was actually probably the longest relationship I've ever had with anyone. Yeah. You know, and it's actually, it was my first real relationship because I never really had a committed relationship like that as an adult. Mm-hmm. So you were definitely my first for that. So I was, I was happy about that. I just, I just felt like I was happy that I found someone that I could connect with, even though we come from two different backgrounds, but I, I love her so much even to this day. So, and that, and that doesn't change. So, you know, it doesn't change how I feel better. So yeah. I'm happy to have Aaliyah still in my life. You know, my, 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 co- my co-host, the love of my life, just everything, you know, mm-hmm. she is, I've always oh, said that, that she is my everything. So yes. Sorry. Our dogs are making noises at each other. Will you two knock it off? Even when I, every time I get in these moments, shit like this always happens. So it's just Because like, Bowie's being a brat and Lily just wants attention. Yeah. So it's bullshit. But anyway, but the point is, yes. Yeah, so this year will be our ninth anniversary in a week. Mm-hmm. And also, um, yeah, our wedding anniversary will be two years this uh, October. So I'm excited, you know. I'm I'm happy. Yeah. I know I sound I I it probably sounds like otherwise, but I'm just super tired. Yeah. So and I then know. I just want to take a minute to remind people that while we're celebrating Pride and really throughout the rest of the year, try to make sure that you're supporting local businesses and local uh, establishments exactly. that support LGBTQ communities. Mm-hmm. Like here in Rochester, we have. Club Roar, which is an LGBTQ club in Rochester. Um, Lux Bar is another bar that's very progressive and tolerant of all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And what else can you think of? There's well, there's a lot of places you know that that pres- that um, support LGBTQ plus, like um, mm-hmm. like Lux, for example. They like I said, yeah, they said. Oh, you just said that. Okay, mm-hmm. never mind. Um, there's a lot of places, especially in our city, in the downtown area, in the South Wedge and all that. They all support it. I mean, I see flags everywhere. I see flags in front of establishments, stuff like that. And it just, it just makes me happy that the city that I grew up in, that I knew growing up when I was visiting here, actually supports stuff like that. Yeah, and it's really, it's really nice to go to places like that that 
again, are really supportive of all different types of people. Mm -hmm. And when you show support of those businesses, you're showing support of those communities, which is really important. So I think it's really cool, you know, that we're, we're taking this time during Pride Month to acknowledge those types of places. Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? Um, not really, other than that. Um, <clears throat> so this has been another fun episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. Thank you for listening to us. And definitely be sure to subscribe to our page. Listen to us wherever you can get podcasts. Mm-hmm. Wait, you already quote this in the end, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. I say make. I always say at the end of this, make sure you subscribe to our channel, right. our podcast. Well, I know. Leave I, a nice review if you can. Well, make sure next, to follow us on Instagram. Yes, and, and I know TikTok. next week we're going to be doing the uh, Psycho. Yeah, next week we're going to be covering Psycho. Which as, I'm excited for. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we've... I thought we covered Psycho before on here. No, actually, we haven't. That's a first. There's a couple. Well, no, actually, I think we never really covered Alfred Hitchcock before. I thought we did. Like Rare Window we've done, right? No. Oh. We've never covered Rare... I briefly mentioned Rear Window throughout the movie yeah, or throughout rare. the podcast. Yeah. But I've never really covered it in like a full-length episode. Okay, cool. All right. Well, we can definitely do Psycho next week. That's yeah. for sure. So stay tuned for that because that will definitely be a fun one. Yep. And to all of our father fans out there. Oh, God. Uh, happy Father's Day to all of our fatherly fans out. So this has been the Abby Normal Podcast. And I am your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying, Baba do do do. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.